Hey everybody, welcome to episode 301 of the Running Rogue podcast, first Rogue podcast of the new year. Happy New Year everyone, excited to be back with you after a little bit of a break post the new year, skiing with my family. And I'm, I'm excited about this topic today and actually was prompted by an email from a listener, so thank you to Carrie Ann who was asking for a little bit more detail by, behind some of the lessons that I talked about in episode 300. And so today is going to be some of that framed in a way that I think you can all relate to, which is that even though I'm a running coach, even though I do this for a living, as an athlete, I face a lot of the same insecurities that you all face. And so this episode is going to be dedicated to my insecurities especially as it relates to the events of 2022 and my journey to try to ultimately get this big goal that I have out there and how I've personally dealt with it. Because even though I'm an expert at helping other people and dealing with their insecurities around this sport, I still have them myself. And yes, I'm equipped with the tools to help work through those, but I still need to have help from my coach as well as my teammates my family in order to work through them. And then of course, I still have to employ a lot of the same tools that I talk about with you to address these insecurities. And so this episode is really dedicated to one, letting you get a peek into my world and in my into my approach as an athlete, but two, also letting you know that you're not alone. Because I think we talk about the insecurity, as we talk about the insecurities that will come up in this episode, I think they're universal. I think everybody faces them in one way or another. And so we're going to talk about it and I'm going to talk about four main ones and some of the offshoots of those and how that's manifested in my running in 2022 going into 2023. And then of course, how I've worked through it. And I can tell you in a hundred percent, all honesty, I'm, it's a working process. I'm still, still working. So you're going you're gonna to hear about some things that are still top of mind for me and that I'm working through and having to navigate daily. So we'll jump into that in a second. Before I do, and I want to get there quickly, I just want to recognize my sponsors for this episode. Thank you to Care Of, a longtime sponsor now for a couple of years, and to Athletic Greens. Both are partners in helping me be my best as an athlete and as a person. So I'll talk about my relationships with them and how I use them in my own life and of course share offers for you if you'd like to work with them as well. So we'll get to those as we go but let's jump in. We're going to talk about my insecurities. What are the things that I deal with? What are the demons in my running world? What are the devils on my shoulder that whisper things to me that would lead me to believe that I can't do what I want to do? And again, I've got four of them to talk about, and I'm going to talk about how they, how those insecurities have manifested for me, where they show up, how they show up, and then how I am working through them. But before we get there, I just wanted to set a little bit of context for you, and some of you know this at a high level perhaps, but so that you kind of understand more about my journey. I've been a runner for 22 plus years consistently and have been striving for a very, very long time and have continued to see 
faster times really throughout that running career. But there is a carrot for me that has always been there, which is that I have this idea that I want to run two hours and 40 minutes for the marathon. My current marathon PR is two hours and 45 minutes. So I'm five minutes away. I've run two hours and 45 minutes twice. I've run 246 once. I've actually, I think I've run 246 twice. I've run 247 once. So I've been close, but have about five minutes to go in order to get that goal, which has always been in my head for whatever reason, even since the very beginning when I didn't really understand what it meant to run certain times in the marathon. And because of my journey and my path, you know, I've been at this for a long time, very consistently. And in many ways, I'm up against the genetic limits of my potential. So I'm in a position where the gains that I'm getting at this point are no longer big chunks. They're small incremental chunks. And yet I still have that goal. In my last PR in the marathon, at least, Houston 2018, I PR'd in the marathon by 12 seconds. Improved my PR from 2 hours, 45 minutes, and 48 seconds to 2 hours, 45 minutes, and 36 seconds. So improved by less than half a second per mile. And believe me, that felt like a massive win on that day, especially on that day because I was really struggling from about 10 miles out and had to go to the limit to get that PR. So really proud of it, but it was a small improvement and definitely incremental. And there have been times in my running career where I have felt like I was in the fitness to take a bigger chunk out to run close to 240 or low 240s. But for whatever reason, it hasn't manifested on the day. And so here I am in a position at the age of 43, wondering if that goal is still achievable and attainable. And as I sat down and looked at it at the beginning of last year, what I needed to do to go from a 245 marathoner to a 240 marathoner at the position that I was in as a runner, I knew that I needed to make some bigger shifts some bigger changes, work on some weaknesses that I hadn't worked in the same way, maybe in a while or ever in order to be able to get past making marginal gains, small jumps and actually go make a big jump in that distance. And so as I evaluated that individually and with my coach and and the others that I that I draw insight from, I realized that I needed to do a couple of things. Again, alluded this to this in my last episode. I need to work on speed and the top end again a little bit more. And also I needed to build strength, especially weighted strength training into my programming in a more systematic way. I've always done a lot of lightweight or body weight type work, which has helped me for the most part, knock on wood, stay healthy as a runner. But at my age and at the point I am in terms of my running potential, I I knew that I needed to step that up in order to try to take a bigger step. But it also meant as a part of that, stepping away from the marathon for a little bit, spending some time working on 5k, 10k distance, perhaps spending some time integrating strength without having to emphasize running in the same way so that when I came back around to marathon training, I would have more tools in my toolkit to go make a bigger leap. And so I didn't know at the time starting that journey, whether that would be a 12 month journey or whether that would be a two year journey. I thought there was a possibility the beginning of last year that I could be sitting here a year from now prepping to run the Houston Marathon in 2023 coming up this weekend or perhaps it would take longer and that I didn't necessarily care about the timeline but that I would let it play out based on how my body responded 
task through that process. Ultimately, what I found, as I alluded to in my last episode, was that I needed patience, more patience, more time to integrate some of these things in a way that would actually translate and help me get back to running faster times in the marathon. And if you can think about it this way, you know, it's not just about getting faster. It's not just about incorporating strength. It's actually in many ways about rebuilding my stride in a way that will translate to the marathon distance in a new and different way than I've ever had before. Because as I talked about last episode, as I've gotten into more heavy weighted strength training, I've needed to improve mobility, which has changed the mobility of my legs, the dynamics of my stride. And then as that has opened up and expanded, I've also therefore then had to develop strength over that new range of motion that is different than my shorter, tighter range of motion that I previously had. And so now I'm essentially rebuilding the ability to carry the paces that I was carrying before with a slightly different stride so that I can have the same efficiency that I had under a previous stride and ultimately have more efficiency and gain bigger gains in the marathon. And it's just frankly taking time. And that may all sound complicated, but to summarize it briefly, it's just taking more time than I expected to make the changes that I need in order to go take a big swing at the marathon again. And I've been patient with that. And I know that it's all part of the process. And I have a plan and I have the right experts, I think, helping me get there. I absolutely 100% believe in the process I'm following and in the patience with which I'm following that process. And so that's the context for last year. And a lot of that meant, as I, again, alluded to in the last episode, getting back to some basics and fundamentals, working speed, working strength, staying in touch with my aerobic foundation, which I've done throughout the year with a solid mileage base. But without the race specificity that I typically would put towards the half marathon or the marathon, I've put it towards other things, whether that be shorter races or whether that be de-emphasizing the specific run training or specific goal-oriented run training in order to incorporate strength in a sustainable way while essentially rebuilding my stride. And I can tell you that it's a, it's a, it's a bold move. It's a risky move in many ways, but it's the move that I believe I need to make in order to make another big jump when, I've, when I'm bumping up against my genetic potential and I'm bumping up against having done things the same way for a long time. And believe me, this doesn't change any of the fundamentals, but it just means that I've gotten to a point as an athlete where I need to make some shifts and do things a little bit differently in order to find those big stepwise gains again. So, that's the context with which I approach this conversation. And I can tell you that the last 12 months have, have had me in a position to be facing some of these insecurities that I'm going to talk about in a much more palpable and direct way than I've faced in a long time. You know, I think all of these things are things that I've faced in varying ways throughout my running career. And I've translated that to talking to you guys and talking to the athletes I coach about how to work through these things. But if I went back and looked at 2022, I think there's been a telescope for me, a, a highly concentrated barrage of some of these insecurities because I've gotten to a place that's outside my comfort zone. 
that is having me do things I haven't traditionally done in the same ways. And also the results are further away for me than they've had, than they have been intentionally. So, so that I can really truly incorporate these elements in a way that I haven't or in a new way. But it has meant that I don't necessarily have the race results to hang my hat on in the same ways that I would typically have. And so I can't simply combat these insecurities with results. I have to actually work through them in different ways. And again, they've been coming at me hard. And I remember having a conversation recently with my, with my strength coach about some of these things and just talking about how I know exactly how I'm supposed to work through this. And I also have all the rational tools to put to into play in order to work through this insecurity, but it's still hard because I'm still a human and I'm still striving like all of you. And a big part of my journey as a coach and as someone who puts this content out to the world is has always been that I'm going to do the things that I talk about. I'm going to, it's important for me to experience exactly what you guys are going through and striving for your own goals, obviously different paces, perhaps different goals, different distances, whatever, but we're all facing the same things. We're all facing the same insecurities. And so this episode is an ode, a very personal ode to me showing you that I have the same, I face the same challenges that you do. And believe me, every single person who is striving in this sport, whatever that looks like, whether that be to run a certain time, regardless of the degree of fast you're striving for, and regardless of the distance you might be trying to strive for it over, we're all facing these same things. It's there for the elite athletes all the way through the pack. And I face it too. And so, so that's the context from which I approach this conversation. And I'm excited to share. Also, frankly, a little bit scared because it's going to be, we're going to dig into some, you know, personal insecurities and thoughts that I've been facing myself, but that I believe you'll be able to relate to. And we'll talk about how I've worked through it. But again, they're still there. And I just have the tools to work through them as they come. So four insecurities. Here we go. Number one, and these are kind of escalating in terms of the existential crisis they, crises they may create. But number one is the insecurity of injury. The insecurity of injury. And this one, I think, in many ways is the most straightforward, but, but also probably the most prevalent in many ways, because if you're striving and if you're working hard and if you're trying to get better in the sport, you're going to come into situations where you're hurt or you're feeling hurt or you're scared that you might be hurt. And so for this, this one, for me, it, I actually was pretty healthy through the course of 2022, but there was something that I faced at the end of the year where I tweaked my knee a little bit, actually doing a strength movement not the fault of the movement i just didn't i didn't actually step right for whatever reason on one rep and it caused me to tweak my knee in a way that caused pain that lingered and that had me worried and 
And so the insecurity, as basic as it sounds, was simply the insecurity of, am I injured? Have I done permanent damage? Am I, need, am I going to need surgery? Because <laughs> the crazy part about this insecurity for all of us is that it tends to spiral. It goes from, oh, that hurts, oh, to, oh, that's still hurting, to, oh, no, that will always hurt and will never go away. <laughs> and likely the worst possible scenario is, is playing out with it. That's, that's, that was the spiraling insecurity I had relative to this one misstep that lingered because it, the pain lingered and I would do the normal things that I know to do to try to deal with this, which is to do foam rolling and to make sure that my glutes were engaged to take pressure off the knee and to do all the normal things that I would do on my own to try to work through it. But it was still there and actually didn't, the pain wasn't too bad while running, but, but I did just feel like something wasn't right. Like my knee wasn't tracking right. And I think maybe we can all relate to this, but I had the, I have this ongoing fear that I, might tear my meniscus at some point because that is one of those injuries as a runner that can require surgery that can really be debilitating. And I've certainly worked with athletes that that, have ha that has happened to. And it's probably my number one fear as a runner in terms of injury is that I will somehow tear my meniscus and then that would require surgery, which would require a longer layoff, which would then spiral into a longer and more patient period to get what I want from a goal perspective. And so here I was after this one misstep a couple of days later in this spiral of thinking that like I just described, which is that it hurts. It's always going to hurt. It's never going to go away. It's the worst possible thing. I have a meniscus tear. I'm going to need surgery. I'm going to have to then rehab for three to four months. And the delay on my path to this goal is only going to be longer and I'm not sure that I can handle that. That was the spiral that I had. And honestly, in probably the same time period that I was able to talk through it just now was, was, the, was the spiraling moment sitting quietly in my house with my knee throbbing a little bit, wondering these things. And, and I think that's quite common with a lot of injury situations is that you know, it starts as a little niggle and then it becomes something that becomes more than that. And then you start to spiral into the worst case scenario thinking, or even as you're starting to work through it or recover from it, then you're dealing with the insecurity of, oh my goodness, will it come back? What if it's something that returns? So I was facing that in spades in this, in this moment, even though even though it hadn't actually disrupted my running that much, I was still running, albeit without quality work and making sure that the pain level was staying below a three on a one to 10 scale or less. It, it only affected my strength training slightly in that a couple of days later, I did another session and we removed a couple of exercises that would have put stress on the knee, but for the most part, I was able to do the things that I would normally do from that perspective. So nothing had literally been that much affected. And we're only talking about a few day period where I was feeling this, but I was having these spiraling doomsday injury thoughts. And I think we can all relate to that. 
So what did I do about it? Because I can tell you, spoiler alert, my knee is just fine now. And there was no tear, no surgery, no long-term issue. It was just a little blip along the way. But I was sitting there in that moment worried that it was going to be much more. So what did I do to work through that? The first thing is a very practical thing. I tapped into my medical resources in order to address it. I got experts from those who I know can help me. And so I have a physical therapist, a chiropractor, a massage therapist in my medical corner that I go to when I have these things pop up. And I will typically see not all three, but usually one of them based on what I think or the person I think would be most helpful in helping me identify the issue, triage it, and then figure out what I need to do to work through this. So in this case, I felt like the right person would be my physical therapist. Love Mondo Sports Therapy here in Austin. If you're in the Austin area, can't recommend them enough. So fortunately, I have the bat phone with the owner of Mondo, the owners of Mondo, and they got me in pretty quickly. But by the way, They'll get anybody in pretty quickly and everybody over there is great, but I was able to get in pretty quickly and within a couple of days, see them have the issue looked at it and addressed and, and they did some manipulations to my leg just to make sure that it was tracking appropriately. But basically what happened was because of that misstep, my knee ended up, my patella ended up tracking or getting a little bit off track, so to speak. And so it wasn't moving properly across the kneecap and that was causing some pain and friction inflammation on top of the knee that I was feeling in certain movement patterns. So manipulated, got that patella moving back normally again, gave me some rehab exercises to do to keep it in place because he, he had identified that my medial hamstring wasn't doing its job. And so we did some things to make sure that was activated and strong doing its job, keeping the kneecap in place. And so the moral of the story is Literally a couple days after seeing Mondo, I was feeling pretty much normal again. And by the way, they also did a test on my meniscus that they can do without imaging in order to make sure that that wasn't the issue. So they were able to give me tactical information that said, hey, this is what happened. This is your diagnosis. You do not have the doomsday scenario that you were spiraling around and Here's some things to fix it, quick manipulation on the leg, some rehab exercises to do to keep it in a good spot. And that was it. It was probably a one week blip in the overall equation where I modified my training by maybe 20%. But I was sitting there dealing with this absolute feeling of dread and spiraling insecurity around this is going to be a much bigger issue that might take me out for a long time. And that's real. That's real. And we face that. And by the way, I'm still, the only residual element I'm dealing with, because the knee feels great, is, oh no, what if I do it again? And so I'm trying to be hyper-conscious of that and avoiding missteps, making sure I'm continuing to do the rehab that was suggested so that it doesn't come back. But sure, I still have some of that lingering insecurity of, oh my goodness, is that that pain? that I felt something on my knee. Is that it? Is it coming back? Oh no. And so I just wanted to start with that most basic insecurity of injury, which is that sometimes 
we get into this spiraling situation when little niggles pop up. And so the question is, okay, who are your experts? You have to have a medical team, so to speak, people that you can go to, physical therapists, chiropractor, massage people, orthopedists. I also have an orthopedist that I can go to if I think that's what I need. So I've got those four practitioners, physical therapist, chiropractor, orthopedist, and massage therapist, all who can help me work through different things. And I know them. I've seen them. They know me. They know what the issues are that I can commonly deal with. And so I, I you need to be able to tap into those experts when you have something pop up. And if you do that proactively, then usually you can avoid the doom spiral because you're getting real information about not only what's going on, but also what to do about it. And so that was part of the equation. Then the other part of the equation in dealing with it was just simply shutting down that doom spiral by changing the narrative in my head. Shifting from what if it's the worst possible scenario, what if it's the worst case scenario, to what if it's only a little issue that can be fixed quickly? Because living in the doom spiral isn't productive, doesn't help you. In fact, it oftentimes leads to inaction and not addressing the issue because you think, well, it won't matter if I address it because it's going to be the worst possible scenario anyway. Shifting it from what if it's the worst case scenario to what if it is a small thing that I can deal with proactively by tapping into the practitioners that I've developed relationships through the years as I've dealt with injury. Believe me, I don't necessarily see these people all the time. I do see my chiropractor once a month because I think that's an important maintenance step to make sure that I stay healthy. But I see my other practitioners on that list as interventions when I have little issues pop up based on who I think can help me. And sometimes I'll tap into more than one, but most of the time I know at this point one of those practitioners can help me and I and I do that. So that's one insecurity that I dealt with in 2022 that I know everybody deals with and that may be one of the most basic ones. So that's the first, insecurity of injury. Before we get to number two, I want to quickly talk about my partnership with Athletic Greens. I've been working with them, taking their product for over six months now since the summer of 2022. I take the product every morning after my workout before I eat breakfast and it is my way to kickstart the day. It's basically a multivitamin to the max. It's got obviously all the multivitamin elements, but it's got prebiotic and probiotics for digestive health. It's got adaptogens, which help with recovery. And it also has a superfood complex to make sure you're getting all those little micronutrients that you need to be your best running self tastes good. It's a light uh, tropical flavor that I was worried I wouldn't like, but it's great. I actually enjoy it. And again, it's that way to kickstart your day on the right foot. Costs less than a cup of coffee a day. It's got all the best ingredients that are scientifically proven and tested, and it is adaptable to any dietary restrictions that you might have, whether it be keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, etc. So I would highly encourage you check it out. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you 
a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash running rogue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash running rogue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Go check it out. Okay, getting to number two on my list of insecurities that I faced in 2022. Now we're going to talk about the insecurity of uncertainty, the insecurity of uncertainty. And this one can manifest in a couple of different ways. There's sort of the short-term view of it, and then there's the longer-term view of it. So this has manifest kind of a couple of ways for me last year. From a short-term perspective, it manifested in the in the perspective of looking at a race that I had signed up for that was coming up and wondering what might happen in that race, how I might run in that race, how my fitness might manifest, how I might feel, how I might deal with the pain and challenge of that race. And, and that really manifested in particular in a, in, in a couple of different examples that I'll talk about. And then the other way it manifested is the uncertainty of the long-term plan, whether what I'm doing is going to get me where I want to go, whether what I'm doing is the right steps, whether I will have the ability to put it all together in the end to go to go after this big goal in the marathon. Basically, the will this work? Am I doing this for a reason? And ultimately, the short-term part might be easier to deal with because you've got that immediate thing happening, that immediate event in front of you. But the second one, insecurity of the long-term picture, still there. I don't have a result to hang my hat on yet. I have to just believe that what I'm doing is going to ultimately get me to my goal. So let's talk about those two in turn. So the short-term insecurity question, I think we all face this when we're showing up at a race. And I did a recent podcast episode on how do you deal with some of these pre-race fears and, and trepidations. But for me, I can talk about kind of a couple of examples relative to this. First would be from a 5K that I ran in February of 2022, where I was in the middle of my first speed cycle of the year, wanted to do a 5K rust buster of sorts to try to see where I was, where my fitness was, and also to basically dust off the cobwebs on the 5K, which I hadn't raced in a while. And so I, I lined up for the Austin Marathon 5K last February, which, by the way, was a pretty tough course. It goes uphill for the first half, downhill for the second half. And so I was walking into that race completely uncertain about how I was going to do, how my fitness was going to manifest on relatively limited training in the speed cycle, how I was going to be able to manage and deal with the pain of a 5K, which I hadn't dealt with in a while, the uncertainty of what that would even feel like because it had been several years since I'd raced a 5K, really going back to doing virtual 5Ks during the pandemic. And so this was my first 5K start line in a long time. And I was sitting there thinking, how in the world is this going to play out? And in many ways, it was terrifying. Another example goes to November when I was training, prepping for a 10K, the Turkey Trot in Houston in November. And I was sitting there in front of that race facing different insecurities. I wasn't necessarily wondering about 
the 10K distance or having insecurities about that or how I would deal with the pain of the 10K, having raced many of those, it was more about is the work that I've done so far this year going to manifest in this race? The weather was warm. And so part of my question was, how would that affect me? How would that impact my ability to put my best foot forward in the race? How would I respond to the weather? It was hot, it was windy, humid. And how I would deal with that weather and the challenge of it as I got into the race. So I was facing a lot of insecurity and uncertainty about how both of those races would play out. And so then I had to go go into my bag of by bag of tricks in terms of dealing with that type of uncertainty in advance of a race. In advance of the 5K, the strategy that I largely leaned on was having a plan that I thought was doable. One of the things I always like to remind people in talking about races is that you don't necessarily have to know what you're going to do or how you're going to respond or how it's going to feel later in the race. All you have to do know is what your plan is, how you're going to execute it, and then you have to step in and execute that. You just have to put yourself in position to be able to deal with the race, the meat of the race when it comes. And so I didn't know, I didn't have to know whether I could run a certain time. All I had to know was what's a reasonable plan and do I believe that I can go execute that plan? Can I run that first mile on plan? And so I really leaned on planning for that race. And again, only a 5K, so not complicated to plan, but there was terrain involved. So I had to think through how would the hills impact me? How could I manage the uphill at the beginning, the downhill over the second half. And I put together a race plan that I thought was reasonable. And looking at that race plan, I knew that I could run the first mile. I knew I could run the first mile on target. And that's all I really needed to know and commit to is put myself in position to get to the second mile of the race and then try to execute the next mile of the plan. And so I really heavily leaned on having a good plan, believing in the plan, knowing that I could execute the first parts of the plan and not worrying about the open questions. Worrying about the things I knew and the things that I could control, which is I could control the plan, I could control how I executed the first mile of that plan and I could control whether or not I believed in the plan I put forward. And so that's true of a 5K. I think that's true of a marathon or half marathon is you don't necessarily have to know what will happen or how you'll respond late in the race. All you have to know is what your plan is and that you believe that you can execute the first parts of it. And if you have that, then you step into it, you execute it, and then you deal with the challenges when they come. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be prepared for the challenges because that's the second part of the equation, which is that once you have your plan, then you have to make sure you have your mental plan, your mental toolkit assembled. You don't necessarily have to know exactly how those things are going to manifest or what demons you're going to face in the race. You just have to know what your toolkit is so you can pull out the tool to use mentally when you face those challenges. So I encourage people not to fret about 
what challenges you'll face or how you'll face them or whether or not you'll be able to face them well, but simply to say, okay, what's my mental toolkit to take into this race? So when I get into the darkest parts, mile two and a half, two of the 5K, mile four and five of the 10K, mile 11 of the half marathon, miles 21 through 26 of the marathon, what am I going to do to deal with those challenges when they come? What are the tools that I'm going to draw on? And so in that case, short race, didn't have to think about it in a too much of a complicated way, but it was lean on mantras or the mantras that I'm going to put to work in this race. And also what are the other strategies in this case to my favorites, really simple counting, counting one to 31 to 60 is a great distraction. It's like a neutral mantra in many ways that I used at the end of that race, going fishing, chasing people, was another one. There were a couple of people in particular that whole race that I was trying to run down. One of them I was able to run down, the other I wasn't, but either way I was able to get something by chasing. And then mantras. For me in that race, I went back to a, a mantra that I've used in a lot of shorter races in my life, which is just a simple mantra that every second counts. Every second counts. You can't lose focus. You can't let off. You can't let down on the pace for even a second because each second matters in a short race so every second counts mantra ready to count i like that one particularly for the end of a race and i believe i counted to 60 about four or five times over the final mile of that that race in order to get to that finish line and then i was chasing people the entire way to use those things to stay on it so i had my plan and i had my mental toolkit I didn't have to know how I would deal with those things or what the outcome would be or even what demons I would face or what pain would look like at that point. All I had to know was what I was going to use to work through those things when it came. And that race in particular went really well. Ran sub 18 for the first time in a long time in a 5K, felt really good about it. And finished well. I think I was first Masters actually in that race. So it went really well. And I was really excited about it and glad that I put the tools to use. And then if I look ahead to the turkey trot in the fall, the uncertainty that I was facing was what is my fitness? I wasn't sure what my plan should necessarily look like, and then the weather. How is the weather going to affect things? How should that adjust my plan? How is it going to feel to deal with those wind, heat, humidity components that sometimes you deal with at any point in Houston? And so I had to put similar tools to work, but shift it a little bit to make sure that it was tailored to that situation. And so in the case of the planning, put my put my coach hat on and said, okay, these are the conditions. I think it was 65 degrees, really humid, warming close to 70. And I knew that there would be a headwind over the second half of the race. So went back to work, created the plan, adjusted my paces based on what I know about heat, adjusted my paces based on what I know about running in headwind. Created a plan 
shared it with my coach, reviewed it, get, got her thoughts on it particularly. And then in this case, I also layered in an effort-based sort of check and balance, which is that I wanted to certainly have the objective perspective on how my paces should play out. But then also I, I went through a visualization process to visualize how I should feel. 10K is actually the distance I run the most, 10K and half marathons, but and it took me a long time to master the 10K, but I've but I've run a bunch of them. And so I know at my core with based on my experience, drawing on my experience at that distance, how it should feel at every stage of that race. And so I also went through a visualization exercise to visualize executing the plan to the best of my ability, but also to reconnect with how I should feel at each stage of the race, how I should feel in mile one at the beginning stages with all the energy of the initial crowds and the adrenaline of that starting gun, how I should feel settling in in mile two, how I should feel in miles three and four when you can easily in a 10K lose focus, but you have to stay on it. And then ultimately how I should feel in five and six as I come to the finish kicking home into a headwind, by the way, trying to leave everything out there on the course. And so I heavily leaned on visualization after creating the plan. And then, of course, did the basics of some of those mental toolkit elements. But I felt like that one wasn't something I needed to emphasize as much. Did the homework there, certainly. But it wasn't something I had to emphasize as much because I had done some of that work for other races, other short races in the year. Did the race. Ended up getting first in my age group and actually finishing on the master's podium. But the time that I ran was actually my slowest 10K in 20 years, interestingly. And so then I had to deal with, but I knew above all that I had, I had executed that race very, very well. It, I had executed as I had visualized. And I left everything out there. My last 0.2 miles was the fastest of the race as I kicked home really strongly and in fact passed a runner to get on the master master's podium at the very end so I felt really good about it but then reflecting on the result knowing that I had just run my slowest 10k in 20 years I had to then deal with the next uncertainty on my list which is the uncertainty of ability the uncertainty of ability so this one, perhaps maybe the most universal uncertainty, which is just simply the uncertainty of what if I'm not good enough? And for me and for many at my age of 43, I think it manifests in a couple of different ways. There's the uncertainty of ability around age and at what point, at what point will age become a factor that you naturally can't overcome that causes you to slow down? in a way that's perfectly normal. And so that's a piece of the doubt that was certainly creeping in in that moment. Then also simply the uncertainty of ability around just pure potential. Do I have, am I good enough to do the thing that I want? And trying to draw a line from that 10K to my goal of running a 240 at some point in the marathon 
the average pace for my goal marathon is actually faster than I ran in that 10K. And certainly there are reasons for it. Hot day, headwind, tough weather, humid weather, training, not optimally for a 10K because at the time I was really focused on the strength strength part of the equation. And so I was peaking a mini peak for that race, but I wasn't necessarily my sharpest 10K self going into it. So there were a lot of reasons why I wouldn't necessarily run the best 10K of my life. And so here I was, but here I am facing those demons of maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe there's no way I'll ever be able to run 240 and all of this work is entirely in vain. That no matter what I do over any timeline, that I'm not actually good enough, that I've never been good enough to run that time. And that's why I've, quote, only run 245 to this point. Maybe that's the best I am. And again, I know people listening are like, oh, well, I would love to run 245 or 240 or to be talking about that. And please, it's not about those paces because we're all striving for something and might be for you six-hour marathon, five-hour marathon, four-hour marathon, Boston qualifier, there is a threshold there that you're trying to achieve. And it's no matter what those times are, it's the same feeling. Like maybe I can't do it. Maybe I'm not capable. So believe me, after that race in Houston, that's what hit me. Maybe I'm not good enough. The uncertainty of ability, or maybe I'm too old to do it. So, whoa, what now? What do we do? What do we do to deal with that? And believe me, these these last two uncertainties, including this one, are the ones that probably linger the most and are the toughest to work through. And this one kind of intertwines with the the long-term uncertainty, the insecurity of long-term uncertainty that I alluded to when talking about number two, but didn't quite get to, but these are kind of woven together. It's that picture of what if I do all this work for a year, two years, and it doesn't work. And, or I find out I'm just not capable. What do I do? What do I do? And so for me, there's a couple of, of layers to working through those related insecurities. One layer is just like with race planning and the uncertainty around that, you have to have a plan around your training that sits longer term. And you know, I've talked about it many times. I like 18 to kind of 24 month plan so that you can tie what you're doing to an ultimate outcome somewhere down the line. And so having a goal, that North Star, which I have in the sub 240 goal, and then having a plan to go get that goal, then I can zoom in from facing those uncertainties and from the challenge of looking too far ahead and feeling like it's too far away or feeling like it's not possible. I can zoom in to the, the work, to the next thing I need to do. I can look at the activities that I've put in my life over the last 12 months 
and that I continue to do and say, am I doing the right things to go get this goal? Is my daily process right? Because at the end of the day, that's all you can lean on. We're not guaranteed outcomes, but you can guarantee process. So in these moments of long-term uncertainty and insecurity there or long-term uncertainty about my potential to reach these goals or to reach these goals at my age, I lean on what's the work? What's my process? What am I doing? For me, it looks like two strength sessions a week with my trainer. For me, it looks like six days a week of running with certain volume in mind where I'm actually going to be shifting from a speed focus from a training perspective to a volume focus over the early parts of 2023. Training actually for the marathon distance without an intention to do the marathon at this stage, but getting back to those longer long runs and those longer aerobic strength oriented workouts so that I can get back in touch with that side and start to marry the speed and the strength back with my aerobic foundation, my aerobic strength, so that then I can translate that into a little mini speed cycle to retouch on speed in the summer and then get into another marathon cycle with the focus of Houston 2024 to hopefully take the next big shot. The plan is laid out. The plan is straightforward. The plan means something every day. It means doing a run. It means doing a strength workout, perhaps. It means sometimes taking a day off. It means investing in recovery. It is tactical. And so in those moments when I get lost in the long-term uncertainty or getting lost in the question about is it possible for me, then I lean on what do I need to do right now? What do I need to do right now? In order to take that next logical step towards the goal. Because again, no matter what, I'm not guaranteed an outcome. Even if I am capable, I'm not guaranteed an outcome. All I can do, all I can guarantee is the process, the work, and continuing to string together good days, good work, so that I give myself a chance. Just like in a race, you don't have to know what's going to happen after mile 20. All you have to do is put yourself in position to get there and to be as prepared as you can be. And I don't have to know what will happen in January 2024 or beyond. All I have to do is do the work to put myself in position to take my best shot. And so when I get lost in those long-term thoughts or those concerns about my potential, that's where I lean on. The other thing I lean on is the evidence. What have I done that says I can do this? So I go back into my race results. I go back into old training logs and into workouts and I look at the evidence. And I've run a half marathon that would point to my ability to do this. I've run the first part of a marathon on a day that didn't work out in the paces I would need to run in the first part of a marathon to go execute a 240. Like I've done it for parts of a marathon. And yeah, it hasn't worked out one day because of a hot weather day, other days for other reasons. I've been in that position before. I've been ready for it. I have evidence over parts of races that I can actually get in that rhythm and put myself in position. And in other times it hasn't worked out, 
but it could still. And so I go back to the evidence. It says, look, my PR is in the half and the 10K point to the fact that this is possible. The races I've run where it hasn't quite worked out point to the to the fact that it's possible. So there's a real evidence in the books. I looked back to the races I ran last year at various points that point to the fact that I can do this, that I have the tools. And by the way, I also have 22 plus years of running experience that I carry with me, aerobic development that I carry with me to go do it. And so then I look at just the hard evidence of the work that I've done and it's easy to focus on the things you haven't done or the races that have gone poorly or the evidence that suggests you can't do it. But honestly, if I look at those things, that mountain of stuff, that mountain of data points is not a mountain at all. It's actually a tiny little hill. And the mountain is actually on the side of you can do this. And so that's another way that I can go back to the work, the things that I've done. And I say, look, the evidence is already there that I can do this. And I also, by the way, have other people in my life that confirm this goal. My coach, teammates, people who have done it, where I can say, look, if they can do it, I can too. Been right there with them in training. Put in miles with them. They can do it. I can too. So I can also lean on the results of others and say, look, that person can do it. Somebody I know that does the work like I do the work, then I know I can put myself in position to do it too. So those are some ways that I deal with it. Leaning on the plan, looking at the evidence that it's there, and also leaning on the inspiration of others to deal with that insecurity of long-term uncertainty and insecurity of ability. And speaking specifically briefly on the age point, I just ignore that altogether. Perhaps leaning on the third element of that piece more than anything. I know people that are older than me who have done it, that I've trained with. So I can look to the example of others and say, hey, if that person who's 46 can do it, I can do it. But also, I just generally think you just have to ignore that one altogether because it's not helpful. It's not productive. It doesn't lead you into any positive path. So you acknowledge it. And then you just say, cancel, not going to let that thought enter my mind because for most people, it's irrelevant. I know people at all ages that are chasing and beating their younger self. And that, to me, as a coach, I've seen as more prevalent than the other way around. So don't worry about the Grim Reaper coming for you or for your speed. Just ignore that and get to doing the work. So that's number three, the insecurity of ability. Before I get to four, I want to briefly talk about my partnership. Now, going on two years with Care Of, they are the company that really helped kickstart my journey as it related to taking vitamins and supplements and things that were going to help me be strong and healthy as a runner. I've been working with them again for two years. Now they work in concert with me with Athletic Greens. I use both in my toolkit to make sure I have the right things in order to be my best self. And I highly encourage you to look at it as well. The nice thing about this part of the year as people are creating resolutions is that you have an ability to get a fresh start. 
and to start to change behaviors in a way that are going to make you stronger and make you feel better. And an easy way to do that is with something like care of because it's not like you have to invent motivation to go take things that are going to make you better and stronger. You just have to simply get a subscription and put it in your mouth once a day. And so that's what it has become for me and and particularly related to my vitamin D journey. Care of was the company that really helped me establish a consistent routine around taking vitamin D. So what I would encourage you to do is go to takecareof.com. You can take their quiz. You can input your goals and they will give you recommendations on things that you can take to support those goals as well as all the science behind those different supplements and also the exact ingredients so that you know exactly what you're putting in your body. You select what you might want, put that in your subscription packs, and then they send it to you once a month. So you have it there. You take those daily packs. You don't even have to think about it. And that's what really allowed me to start putting routine around my vitamin and supplement journey. So highly recommend you check out Care Of. So to do that, and get 50% off your first order. You go to takecareof.com, use the code ROGUE50, that's R-O-G-U-E-5-0. Again, takecareof.com, use the code ROGUE50 for 50% off your first order to get started with them. Okay, now let's jump into my last insecurity of the year, probably the biggest, most existential, again, one that's still lingering with me now that I'm facing. And again, probably many of you are facing. This one is the insecurity of identity. The insecurity of identity. Again, I said it'd be existential. But basically, this comes down to the question of, do I even want this anymore? Does it matter? Am I worthy of it? Is it worthy of me? So basically questioning everything. Why even do this? Am I wasting my time? And this one's tricky to admit even because my whole life is built around running as a coach. It's my main hobby. I'm telling people all the time to go chase their biggest goals because it will make them better people because it will have an impact in your life that extends beyond just putting one foot in front of the other. Because when you test yourself through this sport, there is magic that happens. And I believe in that 100%, 1000%. And believe me, when I face this insecurity, it's the most difficult because truly it does put me in this existential place of, am I investing in something and telling others to invest in that isn't worth it. And believe me, this is the biggest devil devil on my shoulder in a sense that I know deep down at my core that the answer to those questions is absolutely it's worth it. Absolutely it matters. Absolutely I want this. I've wanted it for as long as I've run, as long as I've strived in this way. But that doesn't take away the devil that sometimes sits on your shoulder and whispers, why are you doing this? 
Is it worth it at all? You shouldn't be doing this. You're wasting your time. It's that devil that gets you to not invest, to make me not do that thing. That's part of the work because you start to question whether it's worth it at all. But guarantee you it's worth it. I know that at my core, but I'm just telling you, I'm being real, 100%. I face this insecurity like all of you. And so what do I do about it? What do I do about it? First of all, you have to have a crystal clear picture of why you want that thing. For me, it's 240. For you, it's something else. doesn't matter what that something else is. If it's a big enough goal for you, if you believe it's important, it's important. But why do you want it? Never, never lose track of your purpose. And I will say that the last 12 months, I've had to reconnect with my own process around confirming that in my head because my journey as a runner, my purpose has definitely evolved. You know, when I started as a runner, it was all about competing. It was all about striving. It was all about testing myself, trying to beat myself, trying to get better over time that evolved from being purely about competition to also being about a movement practice that was a mental health opportunity for me and also a way to connect with people who were doing it and and find community. So those have been reasons for running, for wanting to strive in the sport that have grown as I've continued in my journey. And so at times I've had to look at that and say, well, on one hand, as a runner, I'm completely content. I love the process. I love the community associated with the process. If I never had another personal best, I would still be a runner because I have those other reasons. I love the stress relief it provides. I love the quiet space it gives me when I run on my own. I love the connection I have to community when I have the opportunity to run with the road community. That is life giving to me. And it doesn't matter whether I get another PR, those things are always going to be there for me and I'm never going to walk away from it. But still, I know deep down, I want this thing. And the reasons I want this thing are different than mental health, are different than the connection provided by running. And there is a related element there. I do want to inspire others through my journey, but that's not the primary reason why I want what I want. I want what I want ultimately because I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. And I want to see if I can do the work and if I have the toughness, if I have the grit to do it. Basically, I want to see what I'm made of. It's a way to see what I'm made of. And so I've had to reconnect with that. I've had to put that top of mind. I haven't yet, but I would tell people that I coach to write that down somewhere and look at it frequently. I need to do that work. But that's number one. You've got to connect with your purpose for it. Number two in this category, I think, is through connection, 
getting the support for it. Seeking affirmation in others. Telling people about your goals and journey, even even though that's terrifying. Leaning on them to give you the belief in yourself to do it. So to deal with that third uncertainty, but also to validate the pursuit. To validate the pursuit. So that others can look and say, hey, Chris... I get it. I know you enough to know why this is important to you and to affirm for you that it's a worthy pursuit based on everything I know about you. You can get that from your coach. You can get that from your friends. You can get that from your family, from your partner. But I think that's an important part of the equation is letting other people in to your journey so that they can affirm your pursuit. So that it's not just you alone wanting it. So that others who know you well can say, Chris, I believe, I know why you want this. I know it's a worthy pursuit. I affirm that pursuit based on everything I know about you. And then additionally, I think we have to translate that into written reminders of your purpose, but also of the affirmations that you need in order to constantly remind yourself that it's a worthy pursuit and that you are worthy of it. What are those positive affirmations? And to be honest, I had a conversation with an athlete today telling her these exact words. But if I'm being honest, I haven't done that work yet. As I said, I haven't written down the purpose that I just described to you. I haven't created the affirmations that I need to create or the life mantras, so to speak, that would reaffirm my journey here. But I need to do that work and I need to write it down wherever I can. And I need to say it to myself in the moments when the devil whispers on my shoulder that this isn't worth it so that I can keep reminding myself that it is and so that I can reprogram my brain to quiet quiet the voice of that devil on my shoulder that would tell me it's not worth it. So I need to do that work. I'm committing to the world through this podcast that I will. And I would also suggest to many out there that you can translate that into something very tactical. My good friend James, who was on the last podcast with me, he translates that into passwords. So he'll take these life mantras, these affirmations, change his password to reflect what he's trying to accomplish and the path that he's on to do it. And then every time he enters his password, it's a reminder of that pursuit. And so that in a subtle way is, is reprogramming, reprogramming the brain to believe that it is a worthy pursuit and that you're worthy of it. So that's work I need to do. And then I'm committing to here to continue to work through the insecurity of identity. So there you go. Four insecurities that I've been working through over the last year, the most basic insecurity of injury. And we've had the insecurity of uncertainty, the insecurity of ability, and the insecurity of identity. Hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully you're listening and You not only don't feel alone anymore if those are some of the insecurities that you face, but also now have some tactics to go address them. And believe me, I'm here going through it and working through it right along with you. 
So thank you for the support and thank you for listening. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.